Love it, been playing it in my car, been singing it. Echo Holy, thank you for joining us today in the house of the Lord. It is great to have you, as well as those joining us online as we continue our Resound series. Does everybody remember what the word resound means? It has a threefold meaning. One, to do something loud enough, it will echo. How many of you appreciate an echo at times, even play with that as a kid? Another is to let a resound, a, a particular sound resound. And then the third is to fame a name, to, to bring praise to a name. And you know that name we're praising today is our heavenly father, Jesus, our savior. And we're rendering to him uh, an old English word. We're used to worship, but we've incorporated now worthship to bring value, to bring worth and ascribe worth to our God. And so we're calling our series Resound, and our desire is to echo the holiness of God to those who hear us this Christmas season. And in doing so, we've leveraged a familiar song for a threefold question. The first question is Do you hear what I hear? If you were with us last week, we visited Zechariah as he was doing his priestly duty. In the temple, an angel comes to him and says, your wife is going to have a child even though she is advanced in years. How many of you used it this week? I'm not old. I'm advanced, Dr. Luke said. Very, very, very good, Dr. Luke. We like that. But, but we learned something because Zechariah, in, in kind of saying, how do you expect me to believe this? We learned worship will not resound from an unbelieving heart. Even in the righteous Zechariah, there was some doubt in him. There was some unbelief in him. And because of that, he was disciplined by not being able to speak till John would be born. Our second question was, do you see what I see? And we visited a girl. Her name is Mary. And we learned that worship will resound from the heart of a servant. For when Gabriel approached Mary, he said, you will have a child and he will be great. And she said, how can this be? I've not been with a man. Oh, the, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. God's got this. And she bows and says, I am a servant of the Lord. And so we started collecting this. Do you see what I see? God desires a believing heart in worship. Do you hear what I hear? God desires a servant's heart in worship. God is concerned with our hearts. What's your heart like this morning? As you come into the house of the Lord, where's your heart? For even Jesus said, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is still in the parking lot, if you will. Their heart is far from me. So we summed it up. Do you know what I know? Worship resounds from a believing heart. Today, if last week we were getting our hearts right when we come to worship, because our questions are great that we're asking, but we said, let's ask as if God's asking us. Do you hear what I hear? Yes, you hear singing, Lord. I hear a lot of complaining, even though they're lipping the song. Do, do, you, do you know, do you see what I see? Yeah, people coming into church. I see people coming in here, maybe not serving with the right motive. Do you know what, see, see, we don't know what God knows per se, but when we begin to ask that question, it helps us dissect where we're at this morning when we come to worship. 
Because we know God wants a believing heart. One of the greatest things you could do this Christmas season is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Offer to the Lord this year a believing heart. But we're going to talk today not about the heart now, but about our attitude. There's an attitude to worship. There is an attitude in worship that will determine whether God's hearing something and seeing something that he wants. And remember, if God doesn't like it, it's not worship because worship is all about him. How will we determine the attitude? By asking our three questions. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna travel into Judah. For Mary is headed to see Elizabeth. And we're gonna ask ourselves, do you hear what I hear? And then we're gonna reflect on it as if the Lord is asking the question. Then we're gonna head into Nazareth. Do you see what I see? And then we're gonna bring it back for the do you know what I know into the house of the Lord and say, how can we bring this into the house of the Lord? Would you pray with me today as we continue in the gospel of Luke? We've got Zechariah still being able, unable to speak. We have Elizabeth now with child. We have Mary knowing she's gonna have a child. Joseph hasn't found out yet. And she heads off to Elizabeth. Join me today as we continue our Resound series by listening for the echo throughout the Christmas story of when people hear the good news of Christ, how they respond, and is it worship that God honors? Heavenly Father, use the text today to encourage us. When it comes to an attitude of worship, sometimes we can come into the house of the Lord and, and think um, it should be the way we want it. Sometimes we want to bring a sacrifice of praise the way we feel it should be offered. And if anything's different than maybe what we would desire, sometimes we can get a little upset with that. Lord, correct our attitudes today if we bring one to the table. Give us a humble heart, a servant's heart that is listening to the words. For many of us have been browbeaten in the area of worship for years. And we have adopted maybe the opinions of men when worship is really all about you. And so, Lord, may we come into your presence with thanksgiving in our heart this morning, and may we give you a proper attitude for worship. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. No, we, all, we all feel differently when it comes to worship and singing, and it can create some attitudes, right? I bet you've had some worship conversations in your life before, right? Because we all have different tastes to music, right? Some of you are still, like, you're, like dad grew up in the 80s, like still Van Halen? Like really, still? Yeah, all right. All right, some of you, you grew up, like it's Bing Crosby Christmas or nothing, all right? Bing Crosby, all right, the Carpenters is what should be on that radio station, right? right? Or some of you are like, oh, it's gotta be pentatonics and all this stuff. Like we all have these different views on what we're supposed to, and have you ever liked songs so much that if somebody doesn't know it, you get a little self-righteous with your song? You ever do that? You ever do that? The other day we're driving along and, and I, I play, hey, have you ever heard this song? Over the river and through the woods to, and, and my, my son looks at me, he's like, no. You haven't heard over the river and through the, no. To grandmother's house we go. I'm like singing. He's looking at me like, what kind of song is that? And I'm like, we need to be teaching. I sound, I did it. We gotta be teaching these songs. Why? Because over the river is wonderful. I don't know because I liked it. So you should like it. 
I still brag about my generation. I hear my generation's music before every football game. But we like our certain songs. That's why you all got different playlists on your phones. Have you ever noticed that? And isn't it interesting when it comes to worship through singing and our attitudes, which we're going to discuss today, we all have a different opinion on what should be done even in the house of the Lord. Why? Because sometimes singing songs that everyone's like is like giving a plate of food to 200 teenagers at power camp, expecting them all to like it. It's not going to happen. We all bring our different tastes. And so we want to be careful to come into worship, not in the attitude that we desire, but with the attitude God desires. So we're going to enter into Judah and we're going to hear the message of Jesus Christ going out and we're going to watch how people respond. We're going to ask our questions and we're going to gain more insight into what God is looking for. And so it's Luke chapter one, verses 39 through 45. Go with me, if you will, to Mary visiting Elizabeth. Scripture says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Oh man, it must've been so great to see Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. What? John the Baptist is pumped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she acclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting, it came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Oh, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Wow. How great must it have been for Mary to go to Judah and hear Elizabeth go, oh, you're carrying the Messiah. I mean, is she wondering, what will Elizabeth think? I mean, young people, Mary didn't text Elizabeth and said, yo, you're not gonna believe this, I'm pregnant, I'm coming. So she's going, Elizabeth didn't get a telegram, all right? So she's headed to the house and Elizabeth goes, whoa. Whoa, the baby jumped inside of me. I, I like to send... My wife and I like to send memes to each other. Does anybody have that kind of marriage relationship? We like to send them, and the funnier, the better. I like to send one of a baby whenever I'm excited about something because he's got my hair, this little baby. He's sitting in the thing, and, and, and he's like laughing. <laughs> and then he goes, <gasps> So whenever a kid sends something good or somebody sends something, I like to send back, <gasps> I picture John the Baptist, so I sent that to my wife. I go, John the Baptist, hearing Jesus is coming. I mean, he just, why jumped inside of his mother? Whoa, the baby leaped in my womb. So I put, do you hear what I hear? I hear joy in the presence of the Messiah from John the Baptist. It comes right out of the pages. There's such enthusiasm. But I noticed something. I noticed Elizabeth's excitement. And can I just, can, can anybody do this? Can you give me two minutes of your time? Does anybody get to like to get a little technical with the scripture? Can we go to seminary for just two minutes? I don't think I'll bore you. I think you'll like this. But I want to talk about kiosk structure. Are you, just nudge your neighbor and go, oh, good. We're talking about kiosms today. I was hoping. Okay. All right. A kiosk structure is a parallel literature 
spiritual writing style, often leveraged by in the Hebrew as well as the Greek. And it just brings some of these texts to life. Sometimes you're reading along and you're hearing repetitive language and you're wondering like, okay, is it the Bible repeating itself? Well, those authors, God breathed, inspired by God, are writing with some of their own literary styles as if they were writing a poem or a story in their kind of style, even though God's given them the words. Well, in a chiastic structure, specifically in the Hebrew, the author is drawing parallels. And so I'll label each line of the parallel level A, level B, and level C in this diagram, okay? Now I'm gonna pull it up because I'm a visual learner. Anybody like me, like you haven't heard anything I just said, I'll put this up and you're like, okay, we're good. All right, let's go, let's put it up. All right, we're good. Okay, there it is. Okay, okay, I can learn now. I'm the same way, don't worry. Verse 41 Mary comes in and the baby leaps in her womb, Luke writes. Now go to verse 45. And Elizabeth says to Mary, the baby inside of me leaped in my mother's womb. It's a parallel, okay? It's a chiastic structure. Go to level B, verse 42. Elizabeth goes, blessed are you among women. And then again in verse 44, the parallel of B, she goes, blessed is she who believed the words of the Lord. So she gives a double blessing. It's parallel. And then C sits right in the middle. You see it? Elizabeth acknowledges Mary's child is the Messiah. Now, all the scholars in the room go, what is ever is in the middle is the author's intent to bring all the focus to. And you're correct. When you get to the middle of a parallel account in a chiastic structure, that's the main point. So do you see what I see? I see this is meant to be the first forerunner moment of Jesus's life. And John the Baptist goes, woo! And he does this his whole life. Okay, he's, he, he, even when he's preaching, you'll see later in the gospels, John the Baptist sees Jesus. Well, there he is, the Lamb of God. Just, he, he loves, like, oh, when he sees the Lord. I wrote this in my notes, church, church. Do you hear what I hear? I believe God longs for us to have joy in his presence. Leaped for joy. Leaped. Can I talk to the guys for a minute? Guys, we're, we're cool like that, so let's just talk for a minute. Ladies, don't listen. When's the last time you leaped for joy, guys? Like, never. I bet it might have been for a football team or a baseball team. We're very distinguished men. We're the rulers of our house, all right? But then the game's on. Come on, come on, come on. Oh! How many of you have broken something because of a professional football game? Chris is doing this for today, I think. No, I'm not. I think many of you are on a bye week anyway. Have you ever jumped for something on television or a sporting game? Have you ever leaped for joy? We gathered in the house of the Lord. Actually, we were just up in the loft. It was 2008, late October. Brad Lidge walked onto the mound. I had about 50 of us up in the balcony we stopped drinking, we put the fries aside. We need three outs. I listened to my favorite announcer call every pitch. Don't do this to me. This is what happens in Philadelphia. We get real excited and then nothing. 
finish this. Finish this. And I'm around. I got grown men. I got little boys. I got little girls. Shh. This is serious. This is my entire life on this street. If you haven't known, I'm a little bit of a Phillies fan. The third pitch is out, and I followed Brad Lidge onto the ground, if you saw it. I was on my knee. We, there were things that happened in church that night on that loft that shouldn't happen at church. Jumping on top, run, guys were running out of the parking lot. We want, we want, Pastor Chris, can you take us to the parade? Absolutely. <laughs> we leave for joy. Worship resounds from an enthusiastic attitude. God desires joy in his house. Listen to David, Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Imagine being, being David as a teenager, imagine being his parent. David, time for church. Woo! Let's go! How many of us are like, Oh, we're going again, again? And then mom leans in, we don't have to go. <laughs> right, right? I know some of you are doing it, right? We get to, but that's David's mentality. David was so excited to rejoice in the Lord. And can I ask you, who was called a man after God's own heart? The one who loved how excited are you when you hear someone says, I can't wait to come over and see you? You feel good inside. Really? My wife will text me sometime. Oh, you know, so-and-so said they're really pumped that you're coming over. Huh, really? Always like that guy. <laughs> now, if you're a heavenly father and you see your kids are pumped to come and gather and sing to you, how would that make you feel? I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And sometimes when we get so excited, we start doing things, creative things. And we have a creative God. We're created in the image of God. In the Imago Deo, Phil goes through us sometimes and that creative, awesome God gets us creative. And it did so for Mary too. And you know what she did? She wrote out a song. Yeah, she penned a song of praise because of this news after seeing Elizabeth. It's recorded in Luke chapter one, verses 46 through 55, and it's often called the Magnificat. Do you ever wonder why it's called that? Do you know why it's called that? Well, she begins by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. And if you understand the Latin language, magnify carries the idea of, or the word Magnificat. And so, Let's read Mary's song because you're going to find a lot about this girl. She's a wonderful girl. She's a pure girl. She loves Jesus with all her heart. She may be even a little naive. We don't know, but we know she ponders. In fact, scripture often says Mary considered this in her heart. Mary was a thinker. I don't know if she penned it all at one sitting or whether she kept coming back to it and coming back to it and coming back to it. But I want you to note what she wants to write to her God. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on my humble estate of his servant. She adores him. She begins with adoration. How many of us, when we're talking to God, we begin with God, you know, I really need this or God, you know, you know that this is an issue. Have you ever started heavenly father? I just want to, I want to start in prayer and just take a couple seconds to tell you how awesome I think you are. 
Mary started that way. My soul magnifies the Lord, God, my savior. Note, she calls him her savior. Sinners need a savior. So be careful. And when anybody's trying to ascribe deity to humans, that even Mary calls Jesus her savior. For behold, from now on, all generations are gonna call me blessed. How true is that, Mary? For, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She honors his might. God, you're so holy. When's the last time you've ever said in prayer, God, you are so great and awesome. She must be in the scriptures to know that. This girl knows her Bible. Now keep in mind, many scholars believe a betrothal period could start between the ages of 13 or 14 or 15. So Mary's most likely really just a teenage girl. But listen to her grasp of scripture. She says, in his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown great strength with his arm. That's a Hebrew anthropomorphism. Uh, it came out wrong. Um, where, where it's saying the arm of God is like his strength and power. So Mary's educated in many ways. He has scattered the proud with his heart of their hearts. She praises his ability. Mary praises uh, and testifies of his goodness. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's done a reversal, if you will. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary testifies of his goodness. Mary, what an awesome song. What a beautiful praise to your God. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offerings forever. She acknowledges that he delivers on his promises. Mary is in a state of worship. And what does she do? She expresses her joy in song. Joyful singing. Does God listen on to our worship and say, do I hear joy? Or did you all have to be here today? Do I hear joy? Or are you upset about something? I want you to enter into my presence with thanksgiving in your heart. As Sunday comes, as you gather with the church, whether it's Sunday or another day, when you come into my presence, this is the key. I know you have bad days. I know you have difficult times. There are lament psalms just as much as praise psalms. There's imprecatory psalms, which are frustration and kind of anger psalms at times, righteous anger. But there is a time for joy. And when you're around other believers, I want you to come into my presence with joyful singing. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Somebody's here. <laughs> Texted him earlier. I mean, we learn some of these songs throughout life, and, 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 they, and they, they, doesn't, doesn't, as we grow, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. We're starting. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. Come on, guys. I said it three times. I mean, think about it. See, because God knows something. When you're excited about something, I don't really care if you're not an Eagles fan. When you're a fan and you love your team, you're going, woo, keep it down, woo. I see some of you, oh, you're obnoxious. Why? Because you're excited. And God says, church, church, 
And I love, I love preaching to this church because this church is pumped and this church is excited. Uh, we have a church that's like, let's go, okay? And, and he's excited about every day camp, power camp, coming together and getting into the word of God. And it's fun to teach a church about the attitude of worship. We're such a great church. But so whenever I say like churches do that, we're talking about another church. <laughs> well, if I was carrying the Messiah, Chris, I'd be joyful too. Let's not take this too far. Can I help you with something that maybe you never thought of? Scripture says this. It says, and Mary, it finishes its text, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Do you know what is awaiting her at home? Three months? Ladies, start doing some math. She traveled to see Elizabeth. Now it's been about three months. She's getting right into that time period. We're in that fourth month where she'll start maybe showing. Okay? She's returning back to Joseph. And how do you think this will go? Okay, I didn't sleep with anybody. An angel appeared to me. Oh, sure he did. No, he did. An angel appeared to me. Joseph, you gotta believe me. An angel did this to me. Yeah, sure, right? Think about this for a minute, folks. You don't understand. I'm carrying the God of the universe now. I wrote a song. Yeah, Mary. You say, Chris, are, are, are you, are you kind of just making that up? Can I remind you when Jesus is 30 some years old, he's standing in the synagogues and these Pharisees go, hey, we're not illegitimate children. They were dropping that on Jesus his whole life. Mary would walk around her entire life with the judgmental eyes. He slept around on Joseph. Joseph broke his betrothal vow. She had to deal with judgment her whole life. Is it possible that God and his great love for her, because I'm like, God, she's such a beautiful, wonderful, pure young lady, and now she's done nothing wrong, but the world is going to just reject her for this. Could there have been another way? But in God, in his great mercy, you ever get frustrated with somehow God's working with you? You're like, can we work just a little different way? God, even in his great mercy, said, I want you to go to Elizabeth, who knows a little something about rejection who prayed her whole life that she would be able to deliver a son for Zechariah. And she said when she got John that you've taken away the reproaches of me. Isn't it neat that God sent his Mary over to Elizabeth to get some mentor coaching on what it's like to be rejected, judged, and still live in the favor of God? I don't think we understand that Mary did understand something about rejection when she looked at her boy bleeding on that cross. She got it. Because they were even mocking Jesus about being an illegitimate kid into his 30s. Scripture says she heads home. Joseph's there. We don't have all the text in Luke. We go to a gospel account of Matthew. To see how it would go, it's Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Luke says, and Mary remained with her about three months, and then she returned home. We, we jump to Matthew, and it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
Imagine Joseph. How do I deal with this? How do I explain this? But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her womb is the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place that was spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Scripture says, when Joseph awoke from his dream, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. Do you see what I see? We got a guy who is contemplating divorcing his wife for he doesn't know what to do. He's confused, probably really hurt, maybe even angry. How could this be? She says this? How, how is anybody gonna believe this? But an angel appeared to him. God intervened. And the spoken words of God through the angel said, this is how it's gonna go. And I wrote in my notes, he did as he was commanded. It's as if God wants to point out something in scripture. He goes, you know what I see? I see Joseph obeying me. Have you ever been a little frustrated with God's plan? Have you ever been filled with a little bit of doubt? It creeps even into the righteous we saw last week with Zechariah. Have you ever been going, God, I don't know if I would have done it this way, and you don't know what to do? Take some advice from Joseph. Do what you're told to do. Open the word of God and obey. Amen. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. You learned it as a child, apply it as an adult, obey. A great mentor of mine, he always shared this with me. I know it's not his, but it's resonated with me. Do the next right thing. When you don't know what to do, when you're not sure why this is happening to you, do the next right thing. And then after you do the next right thing, do the next right thing. Joseph, I know you don't get this. I know this is hard to believe. I know this is what you're thinking. And then this angel shows up and says, this is from God. And he does what he's told to do. Obedience is the path to worship when circumstances don't seem to be going the way you'd like to. Do the next right thing. Worship can only resound from an obedient attitude. I'll read it again. Worship can only resound from an obedient attitude. And that's why, no judgment, if you walk into here with bitterness or resentment, frustration, annoyance, you have trouble singing. 
And you can blame the worship team. You can blame the fact that you might not know the song. You can blame that it's this way or that way. You can use all those things. But sometimes, and maybe sometimes those are the things, but sometimes the reason we're not singing is because we're not getting what we want. And we fall trapped to going, worship's about what I want, not what he wants. Do you see what I see? Yeah, singing, no. I see people who want things their way or they're not in. It affects how you even go to youth group, teens. What if it isn't about you tonight and you just got out of the car and walked in to go encourage the first young person you see that nobody's talking to? What if, what if we had a church that regardless of the drive over here, and maybe it got ugly, I'll tell you why we're going to church, because our family goes to church. Now shut up and get in there. I will call upon the Lord, right? Like, was he in our car? No, we weren't in your car. We do have a tracking device if you remember. No, that's not true. That's not true. Come on, we've all come in here. What if we stopped and took us, what, what would it be like in the house of the Lord if his church stopped in their car and said, Lord, before I go in before your people, is there any disobedient attitude in here I gotta deal with? What would that place be like? You see, part of being a pastor is you don't get like, you don't get like, uh, I, I can't, if you all came in here on Sunday, you're like, hey, Chris didn't come this week. He's just not feeling it. You say, excuse me? Eh, just not really, you know, just been not where I want to be. Been exhausted, late Saturday night. You know how it is, guys. You say, hey, fulfill your role here, man, right? Do your job. You know, part of a believer's job is to come encourage one another, whether it be here in the house of the Lord on Sundays or even in a group or a small group or everything. Don't get so caught up on Sunday mornings. But part of our job is to encourage one another and to build one another up. Do the next right thing. But I don't feel it. Do the next right thing. Is God that much into our attitudes? Can I take you to Genesis? In Genesis, there's these two guys. You ever hear of them? Cain and Abel. Okay? Abel comes up and offers a sacrifice. This is what scripture says. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Abel brought something, it's, scripture tells us, from his first fruits. He gave first to the Lord. Cain brought some other things of, of his gathering. And we don't really know what Cain did wrong, but something was displeasing to God that he brought. And so God dismissed it. And it ticked Cain off. He did this. <laughs> How do I know? If you're listening on the podcast, I'm sitting grumpily with my arms crossed. And the Lord said this, look, 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 look at this little conversation we get in scripture. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? What? God knows our moods? This hits me sometimes when things don't go my way because I've used this text with men's groups and, and different times in speaking engagements. And I'll hear this, Chris, why has your face fallen? And why are you angry? God, you know why I'm a little upset right now. I, I've just taken this and I've kind of owned it in my own spiritual life as a little bit of a check. You ever need a check? Hey, God knows my mood. He says to him, 
Look at this. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do the next right thing, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, behold, this is scary. I'm coming over here. He says this, look at this. He says, behold, sin's crouching at your door, right outside your door, and its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. It's as if God knows something. Mood leads to thoughts, which lead to actions. Get your mood right. You know one person's mood can ruin an entire week of family vacation? I see all the dads looking down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you know one person's mood can ruin an entire retirement home floor? All the conversation. You know, 202, she's all upset about that. One person's mood, one person's mood. It can lead to a ton of ramifications. And one person's mood in this place can also do the same. It's as if we're to told, sin's crouching at your door. Uh, 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 you know, uh, you're up in the room, young person, and you're ticked off at mom and dad, and you open that door. It's like sin's like going, come on, say what you want to say. And you walk down that stairs, and mom goes, we get to tonight. Shut up, mom. And now dad's coming around the corner. Here we go. World War I, no presents this year. Why? Because we didn't confront the mood. I had an incredible mentor in my life. He's still in my life. He said, Chris, part of the greatest thing I'd tell you with parenting is confront the mood and you won't have to deal with all the actions that come from the moods. It takes time. It's hard work, but you won't have to wonder if someone has a problem. Guess what, guys? When we come into worship, God doesn't have to wonder about your mood. He did as he was commanded. What if you came into the house of the Lord going, God, search me and try me. Know if there's any wicked way. Come on, does Zechariah ever talk again? I'm looking at my text here. Come on, Zechariah. Go with me to Judah now. Let's go to our last stop. It's Luke 1, 57 through 66. We got to check in on Zechariah. Scripture says this. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Ah, oh, but John the Baptist was awesome. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke and blessed God. Have you ever noticed in scripture that they wrote tablets to him? So is it possible that not only could he not speak, they had to use tablets to communicate to him, maybe he couldn't even hear. And he writes, his name is John. And scripture says this in the following verse. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. It resounded, it echoed. What? 
They laid up in their hearts saying, what will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. God, what do you see? What do you want from worship from your people? Let's learn from the Christmas story. Do you hear what I hear? It's as if God is pointing out and let us see it through the text. I want an attitude of joy. I want you to come into my house with joy. Express your joy. Get creative even. Oh, it's frustrated me that so much creativity has been killed by people claiming false agendas. They're doing it for this or they're doing it for that. God is a creative God and I love creativity and I know he does too. And when we're creative, he, he wants to hear it. He wants to see it. Have you ever considered, like Mary, filling praise onto a piece of paper, maybe writing a song? Songs kind of carry the idea of a verse, a chorus, and a bridge. What if you wrote a song? I mean, I know there's a lot more to it than that. But maybe this is an opportunity for you to go, God, you know, my devotional life needs some, some spunk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a song. And then five years from now, when you're recording artists, you know, just keep talking to us, okay? That's how it starts, everyone. By somebody just going, I want to praise God on paper. And then somebody goes, wow, let me see this. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. This is good. This, I think people will like this. When your face is all I see, surrounded by your glory, what will my... God loves when his kids write songs. Well, maybe you write poetry. Maybe you write poetry. If all you guys are like, I ain't writing no poetry, tell David that. How many people have you killed with your hands? Have any of you killed a lion? Okay, so before you're like, I ain't doing no poetry, I wouldn't say that around David, okay? Love to write poetry. You wouldn't have Proverbs. You wouldn't have some of the incredible books that even inspired by King Solomon without poetry. How do you write poetry? They tell you, soak it in first, read a lot, pick a style that you particularly like, even choose a goal because all great poetry has a goal. Make your chiasm, if you will, now that you're all understanding what that is, centered on Jesus this Christmas. Write a poem. Maybe draw, maybe draw, draw something. I got little ones who will come up to me after sermons at times and they'll draw in pictures, sometimes even of me. They never include hair. It's always just a circle. I'm very easy to draw, kids. One, one little guy came up to me. I said, wow, look at this. He had the lights and everything. I said, wow, is that me preaching? And he said, no, that's me. I said, oh, you coming for this? Maybe you draw. Do you hear what I hear? I want joy. Do you see what I see? I see an attitude of obedience in Joseph. And we see it confronted in Cain. We see attitudes turn into thoughts, which turn into actions. How many of us could save ourselves a lot of problem if we just dealt with our mood before we actually talked? How many of us, if we dealt with our mood, wouldn't go down all, all the thoughts that go through our minds? God wants us to dwell on things that are good and noble, but he wants us to worship with obedience. But do you know what I know? You see it throughout this text, and it's going to be our main point today. Worship. Worship. Let me read it. 
Worship joyfully resounds from the lips of the obedient heart with a song and a praise. What happens in an obedient heart who loves Jesus, who gets exciting news, who knows something about their heavenly father, they begin to praise. Can you sing in church? Can you ascribe worship in church? I mean, I don't, I don't really have a, a, I want joy, make a joyful noise. We're all capable of that. Can you sing in church? Well, I would if I, if I, if I knew this or, or, or the style was the one I like. Can you sing in church? Because sometimes, sometimes our attitude is actually what's holding us back that has nothing to do with the words. Picture this, picture this. You're invited to go before a king and sing his praises. You get the invite, you get all ready to go. You travel along and as you get to the front gate, there's a group of people there. They're all gathered together. They're going in to see the king. It's told you, you're gonna be allowed access into the worship room. Oh yeah, we're gonna go to the throne, you bet. And you start walking down the hall and you're like, okay, what's this gonna be like? I don't know, I've never done it either. Okay, here we go. And then the doors open, right? You're all like probably at Wizard of Oz right now, right? The doors open, you go in, and there's a, there's a worship leader, and they start, this is God's throne room, you really, oh my word, this is God's throne room, and holy, holy starts up, and it's not maybe something you remember or anything, but, but you're like, I'm trying to stay with this, and the praises start, and you see the king smiling, because he sees all these people gathered to worship, he smiles, and the song ends, and somebody goes, I didn't really like that one, that wasn't me. Why do we always sing that? We sing that like, I don't, we sing it over and they say, we say the same words over and over. You almost want to walk with that person on the way out. Hey, I love you, but we weren't here to worship you. We were here to worship the king. Did you see his smile? They were singing songs about him. He loved it. We have made a mistake if we make worship, especially when God's people gather together, about us. I've been really blessed in my devotional life by a couple readings. One is from Pastor Zach Neese. He says this, we have done our congregations a great disservice by allowing them to think that worship is a type of music. If worship is only music, then it can be categorized into styles and volumes. It can be packaged, produced, even marketed and it can be consumed by its human audience. If worship is only music, we can judge it as pleasing and appropriate or displeasing and inappropriate. We can decide whether we will engage in worship based on our own preference or our mood. If a song does not express my preferred style or reflect my current mood, then I do not have to like it or participate in it. He continues, do you see the problem? If worship is music, we can market it. People become spectators, consumers of worship. In other words, worship becomes a thing for people and not for God. If worship is for people, then people are the objects of the worship. If people are the objects of the worship, then we are gods unto ourselves. We cannot prosper, he writes, by taking for ourselves that which is meant for God. Worship is for God. When I become the judge, I put myself in the place of God. I compete with God. The same folly that lost Lucifer his place in heaven is rampant in our congregations and in our worship culture. We think worship is for us. Worship 
is for God, not for people. It's not for you. If it blesses you, amen. I like a good Gaither vocal band concert with my wife just as anybody. It took me a little time, but amen. But worship isn't for me. And so if God is leading me in this, if the, if the leadership is leading me in this, maybe I'm the one who needs to change. Is it possible that this song is reflecting joy that I don't have right now? Is it possible that this song demands a spirit of humility that I didn't bring in here this morning? Is it possible that I'm the one who's off? For we're here to worship the king, not me. And worship leaders, those on the stage, we're not here for you. We're here to worship him. It's not about you. And if you walk out going, it's about me, it will show up. Our worship team right over that door, just like kind of Notre Dame play like a champion, there's a big sign that says we get to worship. Let's always remember who we are worshiping. For God is the source of worship. So I ask myself, I have a couple questions. Did I come into the house of the Lord today to be blessed or to be a blessing? I just wasn't blessed today. Well, you were supposed to come to be a blessing. Take the attitude off yourself. It'll change Wednesday night youth group for you, teenager. It will change Sunday mornings, kids. It will change Bible studies. It will change anything. Am I coming for you to do something for me? For me to do something for you. Did I come to serve or to be served? Am I the host or the guest? I want to be a host for you, Lord. Did I come because I have to, or do I get to? If I want to echo holy, I got to ask myself a very similar question to last week. Did I come into the house of the Lord to make me happy or to make me holy? God, what do you have for me today? Can I tell you, I have watched our worship team as they process the theology, as they think through, does it fit into our current series? As they pray through God, will this bring you glory on Sunday? It may not be in a style. It may not be in the noise, whatever. But we don't have any agendas. We love many different styles here at first. And we love many different ages playing them. Can we fit that all onto a Sunday morning? No. Do we push back on anything legalistic in saying, you have to do this, you have to do this? Yes. And they get that from me. Because we're here for God. We're here to bring him praise and we need to make sure we're right. So anybody who's a worship leader, are you here to make you happy? I'm sick of singing that song, but the church loves it. Are we here to make you happy or to make you holy too? You see, because we're here for God. Well, what does he want? How can I come to make, bring him holiness? It's clear in scripture, sing. God loves singing. Do you see all the biblical expressions of singing? Aren't you so grateful for music in your life? Oh, I love music. I really enjoy it. And I'm a big time multiple styles guy. I really am. And, and I enjoy many different flavors of music, but God loves things about music. So what I did was I just went on to search through scripture and this is scripture. This isn't like, well, I don't know about that, Chris. I'm just going to read verses to you. God shows us biblical expressions of, of singing. Here, here's one. Sing joyfully. I've kind of covered it. But Psalm 100, one through two, shout joyfully to the Lord. You, you notice when you come together, do it for the Lord, not 
so the congregation likes that song because it was a cool top 40? No, no, do it for the Lord. Sing for the Lord. There's this push in churches sometimes to even even play music that isn't for the Lord on Sunday morning because that might make people feel safer. When we gather together, we are coming for who? The Lord. We're coming to honor him. The same trap. We could fall into the same trap by going, I hope people like it. By making them the objects of worship. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Serve the Lord with what? Gladness. God loves it when you're glad. Come into his presence with singing. But Chris, I told the first service, it's 8.30 a.m. I never pull up on my app. Band's in town. We'll be there Friday, 8 o'clock. Teenagers, be there. A.m. What? I want to go to concert a.m. That's one of your challenges of your worship leaders here at church. To bring it on a Sunday morning. But I read in scripture, I sing your praises in the morning. I'll tell you what, by the end of the second service, they were awake for our final song. Sing joyfully to the Lord, but also sing thankfully. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. It takes me back to my child. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Anybody know this? I will enter his courts with praise. There's somebody at home going, I will say this, is, right? I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I, I think of these songs. He, he, he loves to hear this stuff. Sing new songs. God loves new songs. Sing unto the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. I know what I did in Fanny Crosby's life. Tell me what I did in your life. Aren't you glad for new songs as well as the old songs? See, a new song has a lot to do with how old you are. For at one point, a new song was... A spiritual song of a man who lost his family that means so much to you. He wrote down on a paper, when peace like a river attendeth my way. And that song resonated with a generation and they love that song. And we still have songs today as they're written. They're just beautiful and wonderful. God says, I love these new songs. I want to hear it. They sang with many styles in scripture. Ephesians 5, 19, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord within your heart. See, we're supposed to sing psalms. Yeah. And, and that's wonderful what we're singing psalms. And we're supposed to sing hymns. Well, I, I say to people sometimes, do you think Paul wrote that before the hymnal was out that you read? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit before that, right? So, so what was he talking about? See, our, our, our psalms were literally singing scripture. God loves when we sing scripture. Oh, have I ever done that? How about this? Creating me a clean heart, oh, oh God. What am I singing? Psalm 51. That's like singing scripture. God likes when we sing scripture. In fact, some of you like this song that you hear, Blessing. The Blessing, that is Numbers chapter 3. You just open up Numbers chapter 3, and they leverage scripture. Okay, so sing the scriptures. Sing hymns. Those are congregational melodies that we can come together and sing. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings. But you also will hear, in Christ alone, who took on flesh. And they're all wonderful. Keep singing many styles, church. Sing spiritual songs. Sing them. Tell me what God's doing in your life. I want to also hear some of those wonderful songs of praise. 
they sang songs to teach. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Teach with songs. How many of you have learned stuff about God through songs or stories? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. You ever think Zacchaeus is going to hate when the church age is finally fully raptured? He's up there in heaven and we're walking by. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. <laughs> Who built the ark? Noah. Hey, Noah, what's up? Church age with their little clever songs. But these songs helped us learn things about God. Teach. Many styles. Songs. Even think. 1 Corinthians 14. I will sing praise with my spirit. I will sing also with my mind. How many of you have a song resounding through your head throughout the day? Do you see why God wants worship music in your ears? Young people, we're not saying it because we don't necessarily like what you're listening to. But if all you listen to is... If that's all you hear, and I know you hear more than that, okay? It's in my car. Dad, check this out. This song's cool. I'm like, what? But like, eventually I get into it. But sing with our thoughts too. If all the songs you're listening to are filled with foul language, talking about girls like they're your property and objects, it's gonna infiltrate. Sing with your mind. They praised, they came together, they brought instruments. Israel prayed before, played music before God with all their might. It wasn't like, keep it quiet. No, it was boom, 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 boom. And sadly, so many people have all these opinions about styles of music, have never visited Trinidad and Tobago on a Sunday morning. They've never even left Pennsylvania some. I mean, if you go into another country, I'm sorry, they're not gonna care if you're not comfortable. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, it's unbelievable. The steel drums as you're walking to church and they're going three hours and they don't care. They're not worried about whether their fantasy football roster's set. They're praising Jesus. We could learn a lot from other cultures. They came together, they clapped their hands in scripture. Psalm 47, one, clap your hands, all you people. I just don't know about clapping hands. It, the, uh, Psalm 47. It's not some guy's opinion. Clap your hands. He likes that. He also says, he says, not only just do clap, he says, praise with a dance. Let them sing praises unto him with tambourine and heart. Now don't confuse dancing of discernment and being discerning with worship dancing, okay? You gotta be careful there. But at the same time, dance, you see it in scripture, it's right there. You say, well, Pastor Chris, don't dance, hello. It's a good, 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 good. I know it's not good, but I can bring something to the table, all right? But we see him praising and they just come to day camp if you want to see. But it's to the Lord. It's not to one another. It's not, hey girl, how you doing? It's to the Lord. This is what we're talking about. Lift your hands in the sanctuary. Bless the Lord. Lift your hands. Young moms, young moms, what is this? Isn't this look like your toddler? God says, I love childlike faith. Lift your hands. David says, empty hands. I know you have nothing to offer. Yeah, David goes, I have nothing to offer you. I want to lift my hands. They prayed with bended knee. They sang with bended knee. Bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. But there's one that caught me, and I want to end with this today. Shout. Shout. I looked at this text. It took me to my devotional book I've been reading. It says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous one, and shout for joy, all you are upright. Shout for joy. God likes that. If I want to bring him worship, listen to this. Listen to this. It convicted me as I was listening to it. God has given you all 
a built-in instrument of praise, one of those so simple a four-year-old can use it, it's your mouth and it's your shout. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly the earth shook, 1 Samuel 4. The men of Judah, 2 Chronicles 13, 15, shouted out. And it happened when Judah shouted out, God struck down Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. Ezra 3, 11. They sang responsively, praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And all the people responded with a great shout. Psalm 5:11. but may all those who seek refuge in you rejoice. May they ever shout for joy because you defend them. May those who love your name be joyful in you. Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous one, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. He writes, to see how persuasive the shout in scripture is, check out Numbers 23, 2 Samuel 6, 15, Psalms 47, Psalms 98, 132, Isaiah 12, 6, Zechariah 9, 9. You get the point. Shout to God. And then he writes, to see how pervasive this shout is, to see how important the shout is, Shouting warns the world that we have a king in our camp. It is the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah, the victory call and the call to war. God tore down Jericho at the shout of his people. He struck down their foes at the sound of their shouting. Why will we make fools of ourselves at sporting events, even in front of our television, but we're too ashamed to shout for the honor of our God? We have been deceived and robbed, church. The honor that was meant for God is being given to men who throw balls to one another. Time to take back the shout of victory, he writes. Bring it into the camp of God and watch hell tremble. Shout joyfully before the Lord our King and praise his name. Heavenly Father, may you hear this church come into your presence. Oh, we'll come with our instruments, many styles, many different ages many different preferences, but may you hear, may you hear joy. May you hear joy in this church. When you see us and when you look at us, may you see obedience in our hearts. But Lord, may you also hear a church that's not ashamed to call themselves children of God and not ashamed to shout for joy. For you're the God who was, you're the God who is, and you're the God who always will be forevermore. And we sing your praise in this place. Lord, we finish today in worship, bringing joy, even shouting into your presence. Amen.